You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. Two verses further down in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6, which says, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. That was a second sending forth. Just as the sending forth of God's Son was crucial to our Christian faith, so also the sending forth of God's Holy Spirit is essential, is crucial to what Christianity is and how it got started and was formed. Pastor Tom is diving into the book of Acts, the historical book outlining the beginning of the church. Before he ascended, Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. Once they received the Spirit, they preached and taught boldly in the name of Jesus, and the church added people every day. Without an understanding of the Spirit, it's impossible to understand the power that moved the church forward right from the beginning. The Spirit is the key to the whole history of the church. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of Galatians chapter 4 as he begins his message, A Historic Christian Faith. You and I both know as we've gone out and tried to witness to people that some people just do not want to hear uh, about Christianity for whatever reason. They're very dismissive of it. Some just spurn it. Um, That makes witnessing harder, does it not? And you know, you've tried, and sometimes it's unsuccessful. And um, you think, wow, no one got saved. They didn't even want to listen. It started an argument that you didn't mean to start, and it gets kind of difficult. So if we are going to improve and we're going to declare and defend the faith well, we need to know it well. Wouldn't you agree? We need to study it well. What is the Christian faith? How did it all get started? What is the main message we have? The world has all kinds of messages, all kinds of causes. What's our cause? What are we living for and laboring for and fighting for. Of course, we're separated from the beginning of our Christian religion by quite a length of time, are we not? America became a nation 241 years ago. That's a long time. I mean, back then they didn't have cell phones. That's a long time ago. They didn't even have refrigerators in their homes, cars to drive, TVs. The Protestant Reformation, which we're going to celebrate uh, this year, began even further back, 500 years ago, on a different continent. Most people today can probably remember George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, but ask them about Luther, and he's probably a civil rights leader in their mind. Ask them about Calvin, and that's probably a brand of jeans. And then there's Zwingli and Knox and others. They don't know what that is. It's another planet to them. But the Christian church has been around 2,000 years four times the length of the Protestant Reformation. Before Buddha or Muhammad were even born, before Rome fell, before Herod's temple was standing, or at the time that Herod's temple was standing. It's not surprising that modern people know very little about true Christianity. They've been conditioned by kind of cultural Christianity. To them, Christianity is wrongly portrayed. They think of it and they say, but what about the Crusades, colonization, Catholicism? And that's their view of what Christianity is. We live so far removed from the origins of the church 
To many, the Bible stories are just, they're just fantasies. They're just legends. And you have to go to people like that and witness to them. And you have to explain to them that this is real. Make no mistake about it. Christianity is an historic religion. It is embedded in human history. There are numerous tangible facts that have been discovered that prove the truth of the New Testament church outside of the New Testament itself. In fact, we could take that a step further and say not only is Christianity true history, but without that, without that history, there is no Christianity. Christianity is not like other religions. It's not a philosophy. It's not something someone sat down and came up with. It is embedded in history, and if the history is not true, then Christianity is not true. That means that churches who minister today in this kind of a hostile and a skeptical environment will do well to study their beginning and know their beginning well. If you gain that knowledge and you're out there witnessing, then you'll know better who we are and what we're about. What is our message? You can correct all of the false assumptions people have about the Christian church. And that's why today I wanted to launch a new study, a study of the origin and the spread of the Christian faith. I wanted to do it by studying the singular book in all of the world that chronicles the church's birth and its early years. Do you know the earthly life of Jesus our Lord had four documents that were written to chronicle his life, or at least the highlights of his life? We call them the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four documents. But chronicling the early church comes down really to just one document, the book of Acts. The book of Acts is special. It's the only book that we have in all the world that tells us how the Christian religion got started. This one book, then, is quite strategic. It is the connective link between the life of Christ, the four Gospels, and then all of those letters you read about that have those fancy names. It is what stands in the middle and helps us to know how did we get from the life of Jesus into the church, what happened, and the book of Acts is the answer. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 is a well-known verse. Some of you may know it. We say it around Christmas time a lot. It says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And that's referring to the time that God condescended and came down into the world, was born as a baby, celebrated Christmas time, and then he, he lived among us. He was God living among us. But a lot of people do not know the verse, two verses further down in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6 which says, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. That was a second sending forth. Just as the sending forth of God's Son was crucial to our Christian faith, so also the sending forth of God's Holy Spirit is essential, is crucial to what Christianity is and how it got started and was formed. The Holy Spirit really more directly pertains to us today than even the earthly life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we are in the age of the Holy Spirit. God has sent the Holy Spirit and He's here now still. He's still operating. He is in us. He is working among us. And we can even read about that in the book of Acts. So there's a bond we have as a church to the book of Acts because it's talking about things we're directly connected to. 
Now, I'm personally excited about this study because there are multiple lessons that we can learn as a church or even individual lessons in the book of Acts, as we go through it, we will see God's priority. What is God's priority? It is the spreading of the gospel and the building of His church, not other causes. We learn that we must depend on the power of the Holy Spirit and not on our own resources. We will see the unique role that the apostles had in the church. Today, people say that they're apostles, and I think we can confidently say, no, unless you lived in the first century, you're not an apostle, and we'll see that. We'll see how our brothers way back then dealt with ministry challenges, all kinds of things that were thrown at them, and yes, persecution. And since our society is getting more and more hostile to biblical Christianity, we'll learn how do they deal with that. We will behold the church struggling to work together. You think they had perfect unity back then? No, they did not. They had a lot of disunity. They had to work at unity. Even more than this, we'll learn Satan opposes what we do. This isn't just an organization. It is an organism that Satan is angry with and trying in different ways to distract and intimidate. We will also learn how the early church was able to overcome the power of Satan through prayer. And we'll learn again what we already know, and that is that corporate prevailing prayer is crucial to the advance of the church. We will see the place of the church in God's overall program and what God still has in store for the nation of Israel, disobedient as it is presently. We will learn other truths, truths about baptism, truths about conversion, prophecy, and tongues. What is that? We'll learn about magicians and magic books being burned and church councils and church government. We will meet along the way philosophers who mock the faith. We'll meet magistrates trying to figure out what to do with the faith and how to categorize it. We'll see missionaries in their travels and deacons being appointed, women of worldly prominence and women of the faith impacting the church. We'll see soldiers being confronted with the gospel and slaves as well. I'm hopeful that the book of Acts, as we exposit it and go through it, will challenge all of us by the zeal that the early church had for the truth, the confidence they exuded in Jesus Christ as Lord, and then the loving community that they shared in the Holy Spirit. So if all of that is kind of our hope, then uh, venture back with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 is what we'll focus on today, just the introduction to the book But uh, what an introduction it is. It introduces a number of themes that will take some time to be able to unfold for you. Acts chapter 1 and verses 1 through 5. Luke writes, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
This opening section is clearly designed to be an introduction to the entire book, the entire 28 chapters. It really brings out to the front, as a good introduction will do, the main themes that we're going to be reading about, particularly in the early chapters here of Acts. Some people actually believe that the formal introduction of this book goes all the way to verse 9 because there are introductory themes there as well. Some push it even to verse 14. It appears to me it's most likely ends at verse 5 because the themes are all there as well. And the narrative picks up with verse 6. But we're going to approach this introduction here and in order to convince us of something we're probably already convinced of, but to deepen that conviction that our Christian faith is historic. It is true. It's embedded in history. It's real. It's not a religious kind of a truth. It's actual, factual history. I want you to be more convinced of that. I know you're convinced of it, but I want you to be even more convinced of that. So when you face people and they have questions or they have objections, you'll know they don't know history as well as you do. They're not in touch with the facts as well as you are, that you'll study this and you'll gain in confidence and you, with that education, will be uh, more confident as you go out and meet the skeptics. Christianity, I said it before, I'll say it again, is not a man-made philosophy. It's not a man-made religion. It's not the same thing as someone sitting down and coming up with some musings and selecting their beliefs. It's not a series of meditations. Christianity is history. I like to say that Christianity is not a religion, it's reality. It explains to you the universe the way it actually is. I know science attempts to do that, and in some cases they help, but in an overall scheme they can never do that because they cannot study the past in the same way that a revealing can tell us what happened in the past. That reality, that historic reality is expressed in this introduction. I don't know if you noticed it as we were reading through, but you can see that it talks about history. These are things that happened and they're foundational to the Christian faith. The first thing we read about, we're going to call it the historic gospel. That's in verses 1 and 2. We're going to talk about that today. And then there's the historic proven resurrection in verse 3. So you have the historic gospel, then the historic Resurrection, And then third, you have the historic descent of the Spirit. Now, it's only being prophesied in verses 4 and 5, but we're going to pick that up because to us now, that's past tense as well. So we have the history of the gospel, the resurrection, and the descent of the Holy Spirit. And all of that is foundational to our Christian faith and to the church and to its mission and its information we need to know a lot about. Look back at verses 1 and 2 with me as we look at the historic gospel today. He says, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven. That refers to his ascension. After he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, there's a lot of history wrapped up in that statement. Luke, the author, is informing his readers right at the beginning, I am writing for you, I'm writing a second book. It's a book about history. I am a historian. I'm not a novelist. Uh, I'm not a philosopher. I'm not a mystic. I am writing historical truth out for you. I want you to read it. This is my second account. The first account was a former work, and I wrote that already. I wrote that for you, but now I'm writing this second one. Well, what was that former work? You know, the first work of Luke is what we call what? The Gospel of Luke, right? That was his first lagos in Greek. That's a term that here takes on the idea of a treatise or a book. 
an expression. The term is used that way as a book in Luke chapter 3 and verse 4 and in Acts chapter 1 verse 20. The, um, the gospel of Luke was this first work or that first work that he is mentioning. The gospel of Luke was his first work. The book of Acts is the second work, is the sequel. That's right. And if you look at your Bibles, you say, but the gospel of John is stuck in between Luke and Acts. It's stuck right in the middle there. That's because John's gospel is a gospel. And they, the people that composed the order in which these would be put, put the four gospels together. Why was John's last? John's was last because John's was most likely written last. And the first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the synoptics because they generally follow the same approach in how they tell the story of Christ. John's fills in details that the first three did not get into. So John's was put there to group it with the gospels, but really Luke and Acts go together. They're They were meant to go together from the beginning. In fact, originally, the book of Acts had no title. It would just have been received kind of as Luke part two. Sometime later, the the church fathers and scribes, as they started to quote it and refer to it, they said, we need to give this book a title. And so they came up with the Greek name praxis, which means acts, or we would say actions, or we would say deeds. In the uh, ancient copies, the title was somewhat fluid. You'll pick up one copy and it'll have a different title. Another copy will have a slightly nuanced difference there. It'll be called Acts or the Acts or the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of all the Apostles or something of that nature. Back then, these two books, Luke and Acts, were written on papyrus rolls. We call them scrolls. For practical purposes, each scroll could only be so long without getting to be too cumbersome to try to carry around. And so most of them would be written and they would stop at a length where they thought when it's rolled up, that's large enough. And that was somewhere around 35 feet in length. And that's why, I don't know if you've noticed or not, as you're looking through the New Testament, that Luke and Acts are roughly the same length. Two parts and roughly the same length. Actually, Luke's 24 chapters are a little longer than Acts 28 chapters if you count it by words, which is the right way to count it. Both are large books, and they're close to the same size. Luke actually is the largest book that we have in the New Testament. Acts is the second longest by words, and then Matthew is the third longest by words. Together, Luke-Acts comprise just a little less than one-third of our entire New Testament. So obviously the Holy Spirit used Luke to produce a lot of our New Testament scriptures, and it's something we need to know a little something about. In fact, he had a penchant for writing things out in chronological order. He's a careful historian, and because of that, we can grasp what went on step by step. There are other striking parallels, by the way, between Luke's two works. Both of these works are addressed to a man named Theophilus, and that's evident from the introductions of both. Both cover a little over 30 years of history. The book of Luke covers from around 6 B.C. to around 30 A.D., and Acts covers from around 30 A.D. to 62 A.D. Both also give an important place to the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you read the end of the Gospel of Luke, you see that it ends with the ascension of Jesus. Well, you read the beginning of the book of Acts, and it picks up with that event, Jesus leaving earth and going to heaven. Luke demonstrates that the ascension is really the climax of the life of Jesus. The other three Gospels don't quite make it that way, but when you read Luke, you realize that 
not just his resurrection and his appearances, but his ascension is the ending point of his earthly ministry and so also is literally the climax of all that he did. That ascension is so important. But the ascension then also forms the needed step for the birth of the church because it's only after he is ascended and seated and receives the authority for pouring out the Holy Spirit that he does and then Acts chapter 2 starts and the church is born and the power of the Holy Spirit is being poured out and unleashed in the world today because of that. Both of these works, Luke and Acts, also describe the actions and the teachings, the actions and teachings of Jesus Christ. And that might be surprising. Obviously, the Gospel of Luke tells us about that. If you were to summarize what the Gospels are about, you'd say, well, they tell us what Jesus did and what he said. You know, the actions and the words of Christ. But notice at verse 1 again here in Acts, that was only, the Gospel of Luke was only what Jesus began to do and teach. Hmm, that's strange. That indicates to us that the book of Acts continues to explain, listen, what Jesus did and taught. They are his actions and his words, not on earth, but through his spirit, the spirit of Jesus sent into the lives of believers on earth. So what the church does, Jesus is doing. What the church teaches, Jesus is teaching. That's the connection. This connection to Jesus and the Gospel of Luke and the Ascension right at the beginning is obviously purposeful by Luke. He, I don't want you to miss that connection. The Ascension is the key, the, the linchpin here that connects everything. It tells us really that nobody can make any sense out of the Christian church without understanding that the church is driven by an ascended leader. Our leader is in the heavens. After all, what do we call Jesus today? We call him the head of the church, right? And where is the head? He's ascended. He's in heaven. You can't make any sense out of this thing, this church, what we do, what we're supposed to do, where we go, how we handle ourselves. If we don't understand, we are only a body and we serve a head. And so he is ascended and we are down here and we are doing what he wants us to do. We are saying what he wants us to say. That kind of clears things up quickly, doesn't it? It kind of tells us what we're not doing. All the other causes and all the other isms that are out there, we're not doing that. We're continuing the work and the words of Jesus Christ. That clarifies it for me. I'm a simple guy. I like things simple. The work of Jesus Christ then, in a sense, is both finished and unfinished, right? His earthly work is done. Nothing may be added to his great work of redemption. No one else needs to die on the cross or go to the cross. No one else needs to break the power of death by being raised from the dead. Jesus did it all. Amen? That work is finished. Finito. Isn't that kind of what he said on the cross? It, say it with me, is finished. That means accomplished. It's done. But much must be added to the teaching and doing work of Jesus. That's where we come in. That's what praxis, acts, is all about. Jesus doing and teaching through us, and that's kind of exciting. We are now part of the history. We are real, are we not? And uh, I think I'm real. I think you're real, and we're part of the history. And if we go back a hundred years, they were real. Just because they're out of sight doesn't mean they should be completely out of mind. 
200 years ago when the church was operating, they were real. 500 years ago, were they still real? 1,000 years ago, were they still real? 2,000 years ago, they were real. This is real. We have a faith rooted in real history. It doesn't matter that it's ancient. It doesn't become legend because it's older. It's real. What is the Christian faith? How did it all get started? What is the main message? In today's message, Pastor Tom explored how the book of Acts begins to answer these questions. Christianity is a historical religion embedded in human history. In order to share the message in today's skeptical world, it's important to know the history of the church. This is where Luke's crucial record in the book of Acts comes in. Discover Hope is a listener-supported ministry, and we'd like to offer you the opportunity to be a part of sharing the gospel message. Would you join us in praying for our listeners? Pray that the love and grace of Jesus will be evident in each new broadcast, and that many would come to know the hope of salvation. Thanks for praying. If you feel led to contribute financially to this ministry as well, you can do so by visiting hopebible.org and clicking the giving tab at the top of the page. We appreciate every amount given and use it to continue producing the messages of Pastor Tom Leak that you hear on Discover Hope. Next time, Pastor Tom will show us that the book of Acts is, in fact, Luke Part 2. Luke wrote Luke and Acts to begin to explain all that Jesus did and taught. This extends through the church. What the church does and preaches, Jesus is doing and preaching. As we continue through the book of Acts, we will come to understand that nobody can understand Christianity without knowing we serve an ascended leader. Thanks for tuning in today for Discover Hope. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Tom, visit hopebiblechurch.org. There's much more to learn from the book of Acts, so we hope you'll join us again right here on Discover Hope.